Hey kids, you ever wonder what that big ball of shiny beetles rolling around in the grass are doing? Or what about those two dragonflies seemingly locked together in a wheel flying around in the air? Well today, on a very special episode of the Bugs, Blood, and Bones podcast, we'll be going into that and much more, because if you can imagine it, then somewhere on the internet, it is porn. Kidding aside, the world of arthropods is a very fascinating place when it comes to mating rituals. So I'm going to take some time on this very special holiday for some uh, to go over some of those more interesting forms of courtship rituals in the arthropod world, including an interview with PhD candidate Derek Hennon about the wonderful, fascinating world of millipedes and their mating habits. So stick around for that. Let's start with the world of the Japanese beetle. They are Papilia japonica. They are very common turf pest, but also a very important pest of grapes. So if you like wine, these little critters are important to you. They're very pretty, very shiny. You'll see them. They're about the size of, say, a thumbnail when they're full-grown adults. The bodies are greenish with bright green on the thorax and head, and the wings, uh, the elytra, those hard shell wings, are kind of a reddish color with some variation among the different individuals. The larvae develop in the ground and form their pupae, and the adults emerge from the ground. The males come up first, followed slightly later with the females. Eventually they even out in their ratios. The female will come up, find a nice place to get all situated and happy, and release a sex pheromone. Now this pheromone is can extend quite a distance and it can attract many, many, many males to her. And this can result in these balls of these shiny beetles with maybe even up to 10 or so males for one female, this lonely little female there in the center. You can imagine this isn't actually very conducive to a good mating experience uh, for maybe any of them. Uh, The female will eventually mate and move away and lay her eggs in and around the turf. Another very fascinating group are the Odonata, the dragonflies and damselflies. These little critters have a very different strategy of mating from the Japanese beetles that I just spoke about. The males actually have a secondary sex organ or secondary sex area that is located just at the very top of their abdominal segments. It's right at the base of the thoracic segments. The male dragonfly or damselfly will produce this sperm packet at the ninth abdominal segment using an item called the gonopore. He will then transfer that from that tip of his abdomen up closer, as I said earlier, up to that secondary pack or that secondary sexual structure at the beginning of his abdominal segments where he will store it until he's ready to mate. And when he finds that special, lovely little lady, he'll go and use those that structure on the end of his abdomen, those little, his circe or claspers, and clasp the back of the neck or the pronotum of the female to get a good firm grip. She will then curve her abdomen and take the tip of her abdomen and place it up into that location where he had deposited that sperm packet. 
and they you'll see them flying around in this tandem linkage or this wheel position as it's often called. So if you see these two flying around, just know that they're having a nice little buggy love time. Another one of my favorites is from the group called the scorpion flies or the Macoptera. These little critters have a little dilemma they have to consider. These guys are predatory. So the males have to kind of take a big risk if they're going to go try and, you know, have a little something something with little lady. So they will go out and they will bring her a gift. Gifts are good. Now these male scorpion flies will go out and they will catch some insects or get some dead ones and bring them and present them to the female as they are preparing to mate. If the female accepts this, he knows it's time to do it. So she'll sit there and eat this lovely gift of dead critter and he will saddle on up and mate with her while she is feasting. Now, the larger the gift he presents, the longer he has a chance to mate, meaning he is going to secure his reproductive success that much greater if she eats longer. Now, again, these are predators, so he's also risking that she won't be happy with this gift or she'll finish it before he's done and she might still be feeling a bit peckish. So this is a risk that the Macoptera or the scorpion flies have to contend with when it comes time for them to have their fun little courtship rituals. Now what do you do if you're both predators but you're so small and insignificant that she might not even notice you? Well the golden garden Argiope spider or Argiope oradia, the female of this species is actually several times larger than the male. He's so tiny she doesn't even notice him or care. So he kind of wanders up and goes into her web and begins the mating process. And by begin, a bit of an exaggeration because he starts and dies. Puts his sperm where it needs to go and he dies and he just sticks there. He just is plugging that area, preventing other males from coming in and replacing him. Now one might wonder, are these all of these large female spiders just wandering around doing their spider thing with these dead males just hanging there? And no, it, they're actually eating them. So once the male has done his deed and it's sufficient and, and she notices him, uh, she will eat him and he will provide sustenance for her that can provide components necessary for her to successfully produce her egg mass. And to answer some fun kinky questions about millipedes, I have PhD candidate Derek Hennon to discuss some more unconventional approaches in the diplopoda. I, I had received a request from a listener. Um, I'm doing a special little Valentine's episode where I'm going to put together some fun information about the uh, crazy mating habits of our friendly little arthropod critters. Uh, and someone suggested millipedes. Uh, I, I wasn't aware that they have any fun, uh, nifty things that they do. Am I, am I incorrect? What, do they have any special mating habits? Yeah, they have some really interesting ones, actually. Uh, there are, there's this group of millipedes. Um, it's an order called the Polyzenida, and mm -hmm. they look nothing like the standard millipede you might think of. When people think of millipedes, they think of something that's sort of cylindrical, almost like mm -hmm. snake-like with a bunch of legs and mm -hmm. kind of brown-colored or sort of drab that they don't think is quite pretty. But polyzinin millipedes are known as the bristly millipedes because if you were to look at, if you were to look at one up close, first you would notice that these things are only about four millimeters long and kind of hard to see. But you get that under a microscope and you see that 
they don't have this hard exoskeleton made of, uh, that's infused with calcium like other millipedes have. They're kind of uh, soft and squishy. And instead of being hard, they're that squishiness, but they also have a bunch of hairs along their body. And so they almost look like a pincushion themselves. And so those hairs function for defense. Um, they have an interesting tuft at the end of their body that they can use to sort of um, defend themselves against ants. So if an ant were to come up and kind of antenate it and kind of try to figure out, oh, is this a nice snack? They would instead get a mouthful of these um, hooked hairs that really kind of gum up their mandibles. And then as they would use their legs to try to uh, get those hairs off, they would just get more stuck. So by the end of it, you just have an ant that's sort of in the fetal position while this millipede just wanders away. And what these millipedes do for mating uh, is something you don't see with other millipedes, but they will actually um, make this interesting little silken nest where they will deposit, the males do this, and the male will deposit a packet of sperm on this silken nest, and then it will create these other silken guidelines so that whenever a female grizzly millipede is walking along the forest floor, it's going to find those guidelines, and then it'll know somehow, we don't know how exactly, but it'll find that and know which way to go to get to that sperm packet, and then just take that up and use that to fertilize its eggs. But if instead of a female grizzly millipede, a different male grizzly millipede comes onto that, he's going to say, oh, hey, there's this other male millipede trying to mate with the females in the area. So he will follow those guidelines down gobble up that sperm packet and leave his own so that the other millipede did the hard work for him. He just has to leave a packet of sperm there. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Little buggers. (laughs) Yeah, it's so interesting. And, I mean, just the scale of this is, it just blows my mind because these things are so small. Um, Sometimes you'll find them under the bark of pine trees. If you pick up a pine cone and kind of shake it out, you might find a couple of them. And they're just so tiny, barely you can barely even see them. They're just going around doing all this, and mm-hmm. just unbeknownst to us. Yeah. And well, so, yeah, no. but that's the that's the bristly millipedes for you. Um, but then there are also uh, the giant po millipedes, which kind of look like uh, a giant isopod. And there you find them in places like Madagascar or India, um, Vietnam kind of all around that area. And there are some species of Madagascar that uh, will mate in a certain way by the... Uh, and keep in mind that these things, uh, they don't have the best eyesight, so whenever mm-hmm. they think something might be a threat, they're going to curl up real tight, and you're not going to be able to uncurl them very easily. And so these things are about the size of a ping-pong ball. And so they'll kind of be walking through the forest, and they'll bump into each other, and immediately just curl up, because they don't know what just happened. So the female will stay curled up, and the male will uncurl and use his antennae to smell her and be like, oh, hey, this is a female. Maybe we can mate. And so he's going to go and try to get her to unroll, but any kind of uh, stimulus that he, that he gives to her will just kind of be interpreted as a predator. So instead, he has to go up and um, actually scrape on her body and almost sing and stridulate to her to get her to open up. And if she's receptive, then she'll uncurl and they'll mate that way. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so these are two different, like, exceptions with millipedes. But in mm-hmm. general, when millipedes mate, um, they're going to be uh, face-to-face. And the mm-hmm. female will be a little bit lower on the male's body. Because keep in mind that the uh, uh, genitalia of the male are in the seventh segment. Those are those modified legs that we mm-hmm. talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And so his penis is actually on the second segment of his body, kind of closer 
to his uh, neck, if you will. And mm-hmm. so he ha- before he mates, he has to sort of bend over so that his gonopods um, come in contact with his penis, and then the sperm is sort of taken up on those gonopods, and then he can uncurl, um, mate with the female, and he will use those charged gonopods that now have the sperm and insert them into... Um, this sort of purse-like organ called a cyphopod of the female, and that's how they'll mate, and so they'll kind of hang on to each other with their legs. Um, but some, in some species, the males have uh, various modifications on their legs to be able to hold on to the female a little bit better. Um, in a family known as the Parajulidae, this is mm-hmm. a native family throughout uh, all of North America um, and even into uh, Japan. And the males have these very enlarged front legs. Um, if you look at these guys under a microscope, you'll see, okay, you've got normal leg along most of the body, but right under its head, it just has these massively expanded legs that are about 20 times as large as his other legs. And so they're really noticeable. They almost look like tusks. And he'll use those to just hold the female there until the mating is done, and then he'll let her go. And so that's sort of generally how millipedes mate. It's not... The most romantic, but when you look at the giant pill millipede or the bristly millipede, it's a little bit better. <laughs> well, they're they're saving on on uh, chocolates and 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 horrible shiny old diamond rocks, uh, so they have a yeah, better deal like going. It. And that does it for this week's very special episode of the Bugs, Blood, and Bones podcast. I'd like to thank the Pimp Strut Local 13 for their fun music for this episode. And I'd like to thank all of you lovely listeners for tuning in and invite all of you back next week for the full interview I did with Derek Hennon about millipedes. Not just their bonking, but all sorts of other fun, fascinating facts about those little critters. So come on back next week. And remember, kids, keep calm and carry in.